I love that amen there. That was a good one. You know, while the, the Christmas uh, season for sure has its uh, share of, of little frustrations with, you know, a whole lot of stuff to do in a very short, short period of time, you know, there is just something inherently good about Christmas. It seems to, to bring out the best in people. People, for the most part, just seem to be kinder uh, and, and more generous. Yesterday we had um, hundreds of people volunteer um, for our Christmas shop, serving all of these uh, folks in, in our community and, and area um, for one sole reason, out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, we have our angel tree, our heart of Christmas offering. All these incredible opportunities which people gladly embrace. Um, and it's just part of this goodness of, of Christmas. Where does that goodness come from? This week we are continuing this uh, Advent and Christmas series on the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of Christmas by turning our attention to the topic of Jesus and the goodness of Christmas. Now, let me, let's just back up a little bit, and um, I want to kind of uh, reiterate what we looked at at the beginning of last week's message. Last week we learned that going way back to the time of the ancient Greek philosophers, truth and goodness and beauty were viewed as three pre-existing transcendental ideas. Truth, goodness, and beauty existed before any of us showed up. Uh, early Christian thinkers then, kind of building on the great Greek philosophers, were convinced that uh, all truth, goodness, and beauty find their origin in God. And our ability to recognize the true and the good and the beautiful, our desire for the true, the good, the beautiful, our longing for those three things, come from our having been created in the image and likeness of God. See, truth, beauty, and goodness aren't just abstract ideas or abstract ideals. They're actually three attributes of God. God is true. God is good. God is beautiful. And whenever we see truth, goodness, or beauty anywhere in creation, we are seeing something that is both a gift from and a reflection of God. One reason this season is so special is the way it celebrates the truth and the goodness and the beauty that came into the world with the coming of Jesus Christ. Now last week we, we looked at how the concept of absolute truth, this idea that there is a, a pre-existing truth, has kind of come into attack over, uh, in the past uh, number of years. As a matter of fact, postmodern authors no longer talk about ultimate truth. They just say, well, we have our different truths, our different versions. Something can be true for you, but, but not for, for me. Thomas Friedman captures this idea in a book I remember reading uh, about 20 years or so ago called From Beirut to Jerusalem. The opening sentence in the book is, in Beirut, there is no truth, only versions. And you know, it, our country is kind of becoming that way. You know, is there a truth that we agree on? Or is it, you know, your version? Do we all live in these little bubbles? 
You know, if we listen to or watch one news channel, we're getting one story. If we listen or to or watch another, we're getting another story. What's the real truth? Or is it just versions? You know, in the, exactly the same way, the idea of uh, there being moral absolutes, even moral distinctions between good and bad, or right and wrong, that's been called in, into question too. Um, and it, it, even people who rarely, if ever, read the Bible, they may not even be believers, are, are really quick to quote something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not lest ye be judged. And what's fascinating is they're even quoting it in the King James Version, talk about old school. But they're doing that basically to, to say, you know, don't judge me. Don't lay your idea of what's good on me. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. But is, is that really true? Let me, let's revisit a thought experiment. Um, I asked these questions a, a number of years ago. I think they're, they're worth uh, revisiting. And let's just do a quick show of hands. And please participate. Raise your hand if you agree that it's wrong for people to drive when they're drunk. Wow. Consensus. How many of you think that it is wrong for students to bully other students? Okay. Who believes that sexual harassment or unwanted sexual advances are wrong? All right. And how many of you would agree that it is always wrong to molest children? Absolutely no exceptions. Right. Now, would you also agree, and you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but just think about it. Would you agree that whether somebody's a Christian or not, at least insofar as those questions are concerned, there is something close to a universal consensus that those things are, in a word, wrong. Yeah. Now, we might differ on, you know, smaller issues. When it comes to big stuff like that, uh, I think it's pretty universally shared that there are some things that we just agree are right and, and some things are, are wrong. The question is, where does that come from? The truth is, we all make moral judgments about certain things. And as a matter of fact, we should make moral judgments about some things. If we see somebody or something that we know is wrong, like drunk driving, or bullying, or sexual assault, or child abuse, and we don't speak up, if we don't do something about it, we don't address it in some way, we become accessories to it. The fact that, the, that a universal consensus exists about a great many matters, maybe not lesser things, but these important things, tells us something extremely important. It tells us that we live in a moral universe. Matter of fact, Christmas assumes that we live in a moral universe. When, when the Apostle Paul 
writes in Romans chapter 12. These words will be really familiar because I close every worship service quoting these words along with some others. When the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, hate what is evil, hold on to what's good. He's assuming that we know from personal experience and we know in our hearts that there are some things in life that are clearly right and good and there are other things in life that are obviously evil and wrong. I, I think, you know, the, the fact that, um, that we know that in our hearts helps explain at least in part the popularity of American cop shows and British mystery, you know, murder mysteries. Both of them re- reflect this uh, concern and this, this desire. It's embedded within each of us for moral clarity and justice. They, they assume that good and evil, right and wrong, innocence and guilt are meaningful categories. And if good and evil, right and wrong, didn't exist, if we were not moral people, the world would be morally senseless. Chuck Colson, a number of years um, uh, ago, before he, he passed away, um, did a broadcast uh, during one of his breakpoint commentaries in which he pointed out how cop shows um, are, are dramas. I would almost call them morality plays, you know, going back to this thing in the Middle Ages where traveling troops of people would go around and do presentations and, and so on. But he points out how, how cop shows are, are dramas in which moral rebellion is expressed through an act of violence or through a murder. And it just leaves uh, confusion in its wake. But the moral order is restored when what was done under cover of darkness is brought to light. When evil is recognized and its perpetrators are punished. And when the innocent go free. Police dramas assume a moral universe. And that's why they're so satisfying, by the way, at the, at the end. Moral absolutes are essential to them. If you take away moral absolutes, uh, those stories don't make any sense at all. They fall apart. Now, what's interesting is cop shows are pretty much the only place on TV where it's still okay to make moral judgments. You ever notice that? draw moral distinctions. You certainly don't see it in situation comedies. Anything goes in those things. Christmas assumes that we live in a moral universe where there really is such a thing as good and evil. Where there really is such a thing as right and wrong. The universe is moral because it was created by God. God who is good. A God who does good. 
This is why you'll find a refrain, and you find it throughout Scripture, but especially in the Psalms, this refrain, refrain, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Bible tells us not only is God good, not only does God do good, everything God creates is good. Go back to the very first chapter of Genesis, after the first six days of creation, after day one, when God looks and sees what he's done, he goes, it's good. Day two, it's good. Day... And when he's completed everything, he looks back at the whole deal. And it's all, everything God has created is good. It's very good, in fact. God is the source of all that is good. What's that say? Uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. Scripture just tells us God is good all of the time. Do you believe that? God is good all of the time. Because um, on the one hand, we may agree with that um, in our heads. But sometimes um, we're tempted to wonder. Interestingly and, and regrettably, Satan's first recorded attack in Scripture is on this dimension of God's character. Right off the bat, in the Garden of Eden, Satan wants us, like Adam and Eve, to question God's goodness. And I think... Part of the reason he wants us to question God's goodness is because it makes us the final and ultimate arbiters of what is good and evil and not God. So rather than God judging us, we judge him. I, I, I think it might be fair to say that doubting God's goodness may well be. You know how people talk about original sin? I think the original sin is probably doubting God's goodness. Because when we doubt God's goodness, it becomes difficult to trust him. And faith is trust. So if you don't get anything else out of today's message, I want you to hear this really loud and clear. God is good all the time. Never doubt it. No matter what you're going through. God is good all the time. God does good. Everything God brought into being was good. Every good and perfect gift that we enjoy in life comes down from heaven, from the Father of lights. So why then, if God is good and everything God created is good, what is wrong with the world? Why is it messed up? Well, the answer to that question is we do live in a fallen world. It's not the world as God created it. God's creation, according to Scripture, and I agree with this diagnosis, by the way, I think that it is one of the most demonstrable truths of Scripture. God's creation has been disfigured and defaced and distorted by sin. 
he didn't make it that way. You know, a great artist can make an incredible painting, and all it needs, you know, all you need is to have somebody with a can of spray paint come along or a, a pocket knife, and they can mess it up. That doesn't mean the painting was wasn't good. It means it's been defaced. We live in a fallen world, which God's creation has been disfigured and defaced and distorted by sin. Now, to be sure, not completely. That's why there's so much in life that's good. But even though God's creation hasn't been disfigured completely, it has been disfigured everywhere we look. It's sin. And, and it's that sin that separates us from, from God. It leads us to think and to act, act in ways that um, we actually know are wrong. See, we, we know what's right because we're created in God's image and likeness, but because of sin, we don't do what's right. The Apostle Paul uh, articulates this in such a courageous way, such a you know, kind of self-revealing way. In Romans chapter 7, when he says, I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. And then, then he goes on to say, who's going to deliver me from, from this? And it's a great question because if this is our situation, who is going to deliver us from this? It's not going to be us. And calling God's goodness into question, this is really important. Calling God's goodness into question, humankind has created a problem for itself that we are no longer capable of correcting And so what, what's the solution to, to that, it, that dilemma? Well, it's actually found in, and it's actually announced in, today's scripture reading from Luke chapter 2, where an angel of the Lord announces to a group of shepherds who are keeping watch over their flocks by night, fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. In order for something to be news of any sort, it has to be something that we're not aware of that comes from the outside that is announced to us. And this news is good. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's the second thing about Christmas. Not only does Christmas assume that we live in a moral universe, Christmas celebrates the good news of the gospel. And what is the good news of the gospel? God is good. And God is so good. God loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have 
eternal life. When we say God is good all of the time, it really means all the time. Even when we disfigure and distort his good creation. Even when we know the good, but are incapable or unwilling to actually follow it completely. God is so good, and God loves us, the world so much. He does for us something that we can't do for ourselves, because we've created a problem that we're incapable of correcting at this point. God is good all the time, and he shows us that he's good all the time by sending Jesus to be our Savior. Uh, it's interesting, the number of names and titles and stuff that show up in, in just this little announcement by the angel. Um, you remember uh, that um, both Mary and Joseph were, were told that uh, their child was to be named Jesus. And the word Jesus means the Lord saves. Jesus is our Savior. What's a Savior? Somebody who rescues us when we can't rescue ourselves. Someone who saves us from the power of sin. That problem that we created for ourselves that we are no longer capable of correcting ourselves. But while we can't, he can. And not only is Jesus a Savior, this rescuing Savior is the Christ. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. What is the Christ? The Christ is the Messiah. It's a Greek word that means the same thing as the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the anointed one. The one who is promised to the people of Israel who would come from God and make the world um, the place that it was intended to be. The promised redeemer for whom the Jewish people had been waiting and hoping and praying, who turned out to be not only their Messiah, but for all the rest of us, the Savior of the world. He is Savior who is Christ the Lord. What does it mean, the Lord? That's the name of God in the Old Testament. Jesus is God incarnate. That's why he can fix what we broke and we can't fix. He's God. He is the great I am. Don't you love that song, Mary? Did you know? Did you know the baby that you're holding is the great I am? Jesus is the word who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God. Who is God. The God who is good all of the time. Christmas celebrates the good news of the gospel. That God came to us, Emmanuel, to be with us. To die on a cross for us. So that we could be saved from the power of sin and death, the problem we created, that we are incapable of correcting ourselves. One last thing that that I think about anyway as, as I reflect on Jesus and the goodness of Christmas. And that's this, that, that Christmas is meant to make us better people. 
and to make the world a better place. Why did Jesus come into the world? To make us better people and to make the world a better place. God is good. God does good. And as people who are created in the image and likeness of God who have, have been saved by grace through faith, we as Christians are called to turn from evil and to extend the goodness of God to other people. The, the Bible just has, you know, all of these um, words of, of counsel and encouragement uh, to us about being good and sharing God's goodness. Uh, the Bible says in, uh, in 3 John 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Last night when um, Pastor Cynthia and I baptized our confirmation class and, and new members, one of the questions we, we ask everybody was, do you renounce evil and rely on the grace of God? What does it mean to renounce evil? Number, I think one of the things that it means is to recognize that evil's not out there just in other people. But the line between good and evil runs through every human heart. And there's a part of us that falls short. So we need to be encouraged. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil hasn't seen God. See, Christmas is meant to make us better people. It's God's plan as part of the salvation process, not just to save us from sin and to give us a gift of eternal life, but to make us like, more like Jesus. And so we're told, and you know, these words will be familiar too because I share these with you every week. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul writes in Ephesians, uh, for we're God's workmanship. That's that word poema. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Give up what? Doing good. You know, Jesus came to make us better people. Christmas is meant to make us better people, and Christmas makes us better people. Christmas has made the world a better place, and I, I can't emphasize this enough. Have you ever um, stopped to think about this, what the world would be like if Jesus had never been born? I mean, it is mind-boggling if you actually start going there. I remember one of my favorite movies. I, I've got, you know, a number of, of favorite Christmas movies, just like you guys do. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies was, uh, is It's a Wonderful Life. And one of the great thrills of my life was uh, a couple of years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, I guess it was, uh, I got to meet Jimmy Stewart. And I got to meet him in the context of he was at... Um, uh, I think it was at Hollywood Presbyterian Church for a worship service. He's a member. He was a member of that church, and he read the Christmas story. 
And then afterwards, he hung out with people and stuff. Awesome. But I love that movie. And, uh, you know, I think most of you are familiar with it. This, this guy named George Bailey, really good guy and everything. But he goes through a really, really rough spell. Uh, he runs a building and loan association. It's, you know, Christmas time and everything. And he ends up um, missing a bunch of money just at the time when the examiners are going to be showing up to make sure that they've got the, the funds that they're supposed to have. He doesn't know that the money was stolen by the evil Mr. Potter. But... Um, George Bailey, in a moment of despair, stops by a bridge and thinks about throwing himself uh, in the water and committing suicide because he thinks the world would be a better place without him. That he's worth more dead than alive. And an angel is sent to rescue him in a bunch of ways. Not just from the water, but from that idea that obviously is not from God. And George has an opportunity to see what the world would be like if he had never lived. That's just one guy. Can you imagine what the world would be like if, if Jesus had never been born? I mean, just on the face of it, if, if Christ hadn't been born, we wouldn't have Christmas there would be no Christmas cookies. There would be no Christmas carols. There would be no Christmas cards or Christmas gifts. No Christmas trees. No Santa Claus. No Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> Can you imagine, you know, December without Christmas? We wouldn't have Jesus teaching no Beatitudes, no Lord's Prayer, no invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No parables, no parable of the prodigal son, no parable of the good Samaritan. You know, if, if Jesus had not been born, we wouldn't really know what God is like. Just be a bunch of personal opinions. Jesus himself said, no one has ever seen God. It's God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. How do we know that God is love? Seriously, how do you know that? Because in the past, when people were just making it up, they didn't believe in a loving God. They may have believed in a whole bunch of gods, and most of them were angry all the time or just messing with us. Or God didn't exist. Or life was an illusion. But then Jesus came into the world. We know exactly what God's like because we see his heart in the heart of Jesus. And it's good. Even more than that, if Jesus had never been born, I mean, just 
the world would the world would be a really different place. You know, just despite our uh, many well-known missteps as Christians through the ages, you know, we're broken people too. Think about it, Jesus' followers. Wasn't other people? It was the followers of Jesus gave the world its first hospitals, its first universities. They're responsible for lit- literacy and education for the masses, for the free enterprise system, for representative government, for civil liberties, for the abolition of slavery, for benevolence and charity, for human rights, for the Red Cross, for the 12-step recovery groups, for action and for impact and for the angel tree and all of this, the heart of Christmas, all this stuff that we do. You know, there there are uh, atheists in their moments of honesty who will write in their blogs, you know what, you got to hand it to Christians. We don't see atheists getting together and like doing this stuff been followers of Christ. And all of that, this isn't even to mention the great works of art inspired by the life of and teaching of Jesus. The architecture of the great churches, the literature, the music that has been inspired by Jesus Christ. More in which next week when we talk about Jesus and the beauty of Christmas. So all of this is to say that the world is a far better place because of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if he had never been born? It's almost impossible. Finally, if Jesus had not been born, and if he had not lived a righteous life, and if he had not died on a cross in our place and risen on the third day according to the scripture, we wouldn't have eternal life. When our loved ones died, that would be the ultimate goodbye. We would live in sin from which we would not be redeemed. It's really important to remember, we don't just worship an awesome God, and we do worship an awesome God, would you agree? We don't just worship a holy God. Or a righteous God or a transcendent God, we worship a God who is above all else good. God is good all the time. And what a gift that is. And a gift we can never repay. And it's all because of who God is.